Chapter Twenty Three of Forest Days by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Three. How frequently in real life, as upon the mimic stage, the most opposite scenes that it is possible to conceive follow each other in quick succession. Often, indeed, are they placed side by side, or only veiled from the eye of the spectator by a thin partition, which falls with a touch, and all is changed. While reverie haunts the saloons of life, anguish rides in the garret, and misery tenants the cellar pomp and pageantry and splendour occupy the one day sorrow destitution and despair the next and as in some of our old tragedies the laughter and merriment of the buffoon appear alternately with tears and agony if it be so with human life if in this fitful spring day of our being the storms and the sunshine tread upon the heels of each other so it must be with everything that would truly represent existence even with a tale like this we must change the scene then and convey the reader far away from the sad field of evesham without pausing to detail some of the barbarous horrors there committed on the bodies of the dead at once to the splendid court of england now triumphant over its enemies and revelling in uncontrolled power we may indeed stay for an instant to remark that while joy and satisfaction spread through the various partisans of the court while the foreign favourites of Henry the Third displayed their rejoicing with indecent ostentation, and even the calmer and wiser adherents of his high-minded son could not refrain from triumphant exultation, consternation, dismay, and mourning spread through the middle and lower classes of the people, through the clergy of the real Anglican Church, and through the greater part of the barons who claimed a genuine English descent the barrier was thrown down which had protected their rights and liberties and most of those whose swords had been so long unsheathed in the popular cause now lay weltering in their gore upon the field of evesham leaving none but outlaws and fugitives to mourn for them in secrecy and concealment and poets and minstrels to sing the deeds of the gone it was at the court of england not in the capital of the kingdom but in the palace of eltham then one of the most beautiful if not most splendid of the residences of our kings in a small chamber in the left wing of the building rather more than a month after the scenes which we have lately commemorated that they lay upon a couch covered with a leopard skin a young knight busily engaged in reading a manuscript written in a somewhat cramped and difficult hand he was clad altogether in the garments of peace but a deep gash upon his brow a scarf bound tight round his arm and a certain uneasy expression of countenance when he turned from side to side showed that it was not long since he had been engaged in the fierce and bloody pursuits of war eudemothema had not passed through the battle of evesham unwounded and though as a point of chivalrous courage he had scorned to suffer the slightest sign of anguish to appear yet the injuries he had received were long in being healed and even for some days his life had been held in danger as a prisoner taken by the prince's own hand he had been brought in the train of the court of london and then to eltham and although no one word had been spoken of his future fate no proposal made in regard to terms of liberation at the period when many other nobles were allowed to submit and receive letters of remission yet he had been treated with constant care and kindness 
scarcely a day had passed without his being visited by edward himself but the subject of his actual situation had been studiously avoided by the prince and hugh impatient of farther restraint now lay in his chamber waiting his coming and resolved to make such inquiries as must lead to some definite reply about half an hour later than his usual time the firm step of edward was heard in the ante-room and his voice bidding the page who followed stop at the door the next instant the prince entered bowing his lofty head as he passed through the low arched doorway his countenance was somewhat grave but his tone was full of kindness towards hugh de mothama and he took him by the hand inquiring after his health i am nearly well my dear lord replied hugh and like your grace when i found you in the castle of hereford i only sigh for fresh air and liberty to use my cramped limbs but why do you not take exercise demanded the prince you should ride forth every day i did not know i had permission answered hugh i fancied your grace might think that the lesson you gave upon the banks of the wye might not be lost upon your humble prisoner not after you had surrendered rescue or no rescue mothama said the prince i put no fetters upon you my friend but the fetters of your word the great gates are as free to you as to myself and though i give you not your liberty it is for your sake not my own my father's anger burns fierce against your house mothama it is the only spark which i have not been able to quench you he will pardon after a time but i fear towards your uncle we shall never soften him he says that it was by his advice de montfort acted edward put the last words in the tone of a question or perhaps as an assertion which he wished to hear refuted but hugh replied gravely his majesty says true my lord it was by my uncle's advice but your grace's words give relief to my mind i have had no tidings of my uncle since that fatal field and though i had hopes that he had escaped yet those hopes were faint i do beseech you my good lord tell me what you know for never son loved father more than i love him under whose sword i have been brought up from youth i know little more than yourself answered the prince all i can say is neither his body nor his arms were found amongst the dead and so far is my father convinced of his having escaped that he with seven others who have not yet made submission have had sentence of outlawry proclaimed against them eudemotham amused with feelings very much divided between pleasure and pain but the prince laid his hand kindly on his shoulder saying come old playfellow prepare yourself for a ride and join me in a minute in the court below there are guests coming to the palace to-day and perchance we may meet them there was no slight delight to hugh de mothama as the reader may very well imagine in the thought of using his limbs in wholesome exercise and tasting again the free outward air and dressing himself hastily for the expedition he was soon by the prince's side it often happens however that when we have looked forward with bright anticipations towards enjoyments from which we have long been debarred and have thought that nothing but pleasure and refreshment can await us therein a degree of melancholy falls upon us even in the very fruition of our wishes a memory a regret is poured out from the heart to dilute the inebriating cup of joy it was so with hugh de mothama his first breath of free air felt to him like new life and the promises of hope but almost instantly 
the thought of the many high and noble good and wise companions with whom not long before he had enjoyed the same gentle breeze the same warm sunshine and who could now taste them no more the thought of his just and chivalrous uncle wandering wounded and alone an exile or an outlaw the thought of the gallant and the brave who strewed the field of evesham came across his mind and dimmed all the happiness of the hour he was gloomy then as he rode forth from the palace gates and the merriment of many a young knight and gay esquire who followed in edward's train sounded harsh and unpleasant to his ear they were absent for some two hours but as they returned the look of eudemothema was brightened and his smile as cheerful as the rest if the reader would know why it is easy to tell riding beside prince edward were the earls of gloucester and ashby and not far distant a train of fair ladies and attendants amongst whom was one whose soft dark eyes seemed ready to run over with bright drops whenever they turned towards the young knight who for his part was by her side as often as the movements of the cavalcade would permit it is true that more than one of the gentlemen around proud of being of the court party and vain of any share they had taken in the late struggle deemed it almost an act of insolence on the part of a captive and a rebel as they chose to term him to claim the attention of one of the fair guests of their sovereign eudemothema's renown as a knight however kept their saucy anger within due bounds and though they so contrived that no private word could pass between lucy de ashby and her lover they could not cut him off from the enjoyment of her society on arriving at the palace more than one prepared himself to aid the lady in dismounting from her horse but eudemothema feeling a title in her regard advanced as of right and lifted the fair form of lucy from the saddle in so doing the only opportunity occurred of uttering a word to each other unheard by those around but it was lucy herself who took advantage of it i have something to say to you hugh she whispered something that must be said ere he could answer however the earl of ashby was by their side he had hitherto taken no notice of his former friend and confederate and perhaps might not have done so even now had not his conversation with the prince been of a kind to show him that in edward's eyes eudemothema was anything but a captive enemy he held out his hand to him then with kindly greeting and asked him after his health adding now that these contentions are happily at an end my young friend let us forget any disputes in the past hugh as may be supposed was not backward to accept his proffered hand and good care did he take not even by a look to show that he knew himself to be rather the injured than the injurer in the dissensions which had taken place a few brief questions and replies followed while edward spoke in a low tone with the earl of gloucester whose eyes hugh de mothama remarked were fixed earnestly and somewhat sternly upon himself at length the prince turned and bending gracefully to lucy de ashby and another lady who was with the party told them that though the queen was still absent in france the princess eleanor waited for them in the hall she is a cousin of yours you know fair lady he added addressing lucy and then turning to his prisoner he said we have a grand banquet to-night mothama at which you must find strength to be present i have my father's commands to invite you hugh bowed low and as the guests passed on he retired thoughtfully to his own chamber 
It was still early in the day. The hour appointed for the banquet was late, and his first reveries were full of joy and love, but a discomfort of a trifling yet annoying kind crossed the young knight's thoughts from time to time. Separated from all his attendants, kept a close prisoner up to that period, both by his wounds and by his situation, he was totally without the means of appearing at the table of the king with that splendour which the customs of the day required. The only suit he had was that which he then wore, the pourpoint, namely, over which at Evesham he had borne his armour. Some other necessaries had been supplied to him as a kindness by one of Edward's attendants, but still, though resolved at all events not to be absent from the banquet, how could he appear in garments soiled and rent, where all the pomp and pageantry of England were sure to be displayed? I will send to the prince, he thought, and let him know the situation in which I am placed. But still, though doubtless he will now give me means of sending to my own friends, both for money and apparel, the supply will come too late, for this day's necessities at least, and even if he himself furnishes me with gold for present need, where can I buy in this lonely situation anything that I want? While he was thus thinking, the sound of steps in his anteroom showed him that someone was approaching, and in a moment after two of the inferior attendants of the court entered, bringing in between them one of the long, heavy cases of leather stretched upon a frame of wood, which were then used for carrying arms and clothing in the train of an army. "'This was brought here last night, my lord, and left for you,' said one of the servants. The chief sewer opened it by mistake, and finding that it contained apparel, sent us with it. Hugh smiled, thinking that it was a kindly stratagem of the prince to furnish him with what he needed. But ere the two men had quitted the ante-room, Edward himself re-entered it, coming to offer the assistance of his purse or wardrobe, and taking blame to himself for not having thought before of his friend's need. Hugh laughed, and pointing to the coffer, thanked him for what he had already sent. But the prince denied all knowledge of it, and on opening the case, which Edward insisted on his doing before his eyes, he found that it was filled with apparel of his own, nearly new, which had been left behind him in Yorkshire in the early part of the year. "'This must be the doings of the fairies, my lord,' he said, "'but as I cannot always count upon these nimble gentry thus attending to my wants, I will beseech your grace to let me send a messenger to inquire after my own poor friends and attendants who were scattered at Evesham, and to bring me such a number of men and horses as I may be permitted to maintain while a prisoner, as well as some small supply of money.' "'If you will write,' said Edward in reply, "'I will send immediately. "'But let us understand each other completely, Mothamer. "'I think on many accounts that it may be better for you "'to reside some few months at the court of England, "'and I believe, at all events, "'that you yourself will not be eager to quit it, "'while a certain bright lady remains with the princess. "'Your being my captive is the only excuse "'that can be given for your prolonging your stay, "'where it is very needful you should remain.' and this is the reason why I do not publicly set you free. But as in this changeful world, he continued in a marked and significant manner, one never can tell what the next day may bring forth, and, as it may be necessary, either for your happiness or your safety, under some circumstances, to fly at a moment's notice, for I can neither trust the fierce Mortimer nor the cruel Pembroke, I promise to fix your ransom whenever you require it. 
and should need be you may act upon this promise as if i had already given you liberty i will justify you whenever it takes place in the meantime however you must play the part of captive demurely and make the best of your opportunities my young friend for i have learned from one of your enemies the state of your affections and doubt not that your lady-love will willingly listen to your tale if you choose a fair hour for telling it nay no thanks mothomer take what money you want from my purse till your own arrives and now adieu you conducted the prince to the door of his ante-room and then returned proposing to examine more fully the wardrobe which had been so unexpectedly sent to him thinking that perhaps he might find something to indicate from what hand it came but before he did so he sat down thoughtfully and gazed out of the small casement of his chamber while strange to say his spirits seemed oppressed in every point his situation was happier and better than it had been a few hours previous the storm-cloud which had obscured his hopes was clearing away his mind had been made more easy in regard to his uncle's safety liberty appeared before him and he was near to her he loved but nevertheless he felt a sadness that he could not account for as the first impression of the fresh air upon a person going out after a long sickness will give them a sensation of faintness even while it revives them so will the return of hope and happiness after a long period of despair and sorrow bring with it a touch of melancholy even on the wings of joy End of chapter twenty three